Father, as we come into this time of uh, looking at your word, Father, we pray that you'll open up our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us. We thank you that your word uh, is so powerful that, Father, you teach us through this. Help us to listen to your words from um, the Bible, from Philippians, and also the message this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll now have our Bible reading, and then Duncan's going to bring us the message. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those multiplators of the flesh. For it is we who are circumcision, who we have served the God by his spirit who boasts in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Through I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard of the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider, I consider. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing, 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 worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteous of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, I know the power of his resurrection and participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all, these, all this. I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to arrive to my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. 
Only let us live up to what you have already attained. Thanks so much, girls. How great is it to have uh, the girls reading for us? That's fantastic. And uh, well done. Uh, as Shane mentioned, Alex was going to be preaching today but had an accident on his bike yesterday. He's uh, okay but sore and unable to preach. Uh, so I'm the backup. Uh, I'm going to pray because I will need the Lord's help today. Uh, but as we all will, as we come under his words, um, let me pray. And uh, for us together and for Alex too, let's pray. Psalm 36 says this, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Our God and Heavenly Father, how priceless is your unfailing love that you have poured out on us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us each to see and know and feel something more and deeper of the priceless nature of what you have done for us in the gospel. May we have you as our greatest treasure. We pray for Alex this morning and we thank you for his ministry among us. Please give him a quick recovery. We pray for us all as we come under your word uh, today and we pray that you will speak to us through it. Uh, soften our hearts. Give us wills that are ready to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've sung the song, and the thing we're thinking about this morning is what is your greatest treasure? Uh, there's a new Lord of the Rings series on TV at the moment. Anyone else watching this? Um, maybe not. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of, a, we can, if you are, let's nerd out about it afterwards over morning tea. Uh, but if you know anything about the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, he's got this one ring to rule them all. And it's this really good symbol of someone's greatest treasure, greatest treasure. Uh, whoever possesses it starts more and more to see it as their precious. Uh, the one thing that they can't do without, right? Uh, and it, and they, they possess it as their greatest treasure, but in the end, it possesses them. It possesses them. Uh, our hearts are drawn to these kinds of things, right? These treasures, it could be anything. Um, how would you know what your greatest treasure is? Your precious. How would you know what your precious is, your greatest treasure? Uh, a couple of quick thoughts, a couple of quick questions to, uh, to diagnose that question. What does your time and your money freely flow towards? That might give you a good indication of your greatest treasure. Uh, what do you put your confidence in? What do you need to have in order to feel that everything's okay in your life? 
what do you experience sort of uncontrollable emotions about? <laughs> maybe you get frustrated or maybe even angry when it's taken away from you or threatened. Well, our, tre our treasures so often are like the one ring, right? They, they end up actually possessing us um, and they can consume us and not give the peace that they kind of promise that we look to from them. Uh, friends, there is a treasure that will give you life instead of take it from you. There is a treasure that liberates. There is a treasure that lives up to its promise. Uh, Augustine said this, the great, um, the, the great father of the, of the early church said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. The Apostle Paul knew that. The Apostle Paul, and that's what we're reflecting on today. Uh, before Paul encountered Jesus, or Jesus encountered him, um, Paul's great treasure, the thing that he put his confidence and his hope in, was his own righteousness, uh, his own achievements, his religious and moral achievements, his own pedigree, his own kind of family pride. That's what he highlights in verse 4. If anyone else uh, thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Basically, if anyone can point to their life and say, I've done everything right, and so God, you kind of owe me, uh, it was Paul. Paul's saying, but something happened to him. Something happened to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he met Jesus. He met the risen Lord Jesus, and he saw clearly for the first time how empty all that other stuff was. He saw clearly for the first time where true treasure was to be found. So the greatest treasure, the greatest treasure, Paul says, is to know Jesus. To know Jesus as your Lord. Um, my outline is different to Alex's, so if you're looking along in the leaflet, you'll be confused. Uh, I have a few simple points. The greatest treasure is to know Jesus as your Lord. Verse 7, let's have a look. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. Paul's greatest treasure was to know Jesus as his Lord, to know Jesus, to know Jesus. I reckon it's easy in a kind of social media age to think that you know someone um, to think that you know someone when you actually don't know them at all. You can know lots of things about someone. Uh, and you get this often with celebrities. You can watch them lots on YouTube. You can follow them on Instagram. You can stalk them on Facebook. And you can start to think that you really know them. You're really connected to them. But it's a sham, really, right? Uh, you don't know them at all. <laughs> You, just, you know things about them, and the things that you know about them are only the curated and sort of polished things that they put online. Um, we can do a similar kind of thing with Jesus. 
know things about him, know some stuff about him, but not actually have any real relationship with him. Uh, You can even know that he died for sin and rose from the dead as the saviour of the world, as the lord of the worlds, but not know him as your saving lord who forgives your sin and who gives you rest. He's not just the one who loves the world in the abstract. You can know that and sort of lock it away in your brain. God loves the world, of course. What's next? Not just that. But knowing that the Son of God loved you and gave himself up for you. That as he went to the cross, he had you in mind. To know him, friends, is not just to know stuff about him, but to know him as a person uh, who in his word by his spirit speaks to you. Knowing him means trusting him as a person, (laughs) submitting to him as your Lord. It's so beautiful how Paul puts it, right? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, not of knowing some stuff about Jesus, the surpassing worth worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul knows this surpassing worth. To know him is to know him as a person who in his word and by his spirit speaks to you. Knowing him means trusting him. And it also means receiving from him his free gift of righteousness. Uh, That's what Paul goes on to talk about. So the greatest treasure, to know Jesus as your Lord, not just as the Lord in the abstract, but as your Lord. And secondly, to have God's free gift of righteousness. This has really captivated Paul's heart. Uh, Let's read from verse 8. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Uh, Sometimes we talk about the doctrine of justification by faith. Uh, It's really important that we do that. It's an essential core doctrine of the Christian faith. And what Paul shows us here is that this this isn't just this kind of abstract thing, this doctrine of justification by faith. It's not just a set of propositions to believe in, uh, to agree with. For sinners to be justified, for sinners to be made righteous in God's sight, for sinners to be all right, not because of anything they have done, but purely because of God's gracious gift received with the empty hands of faith alone is an incredible wonder. It's not a dry, abstract doctrine to lock away for a rate. It's an incredible wonder. Um, I've been reading a little book by Martin Luther recently called The Freedom of a Christian. A really great book if you want to uh, get into it. And he uses this illustration of a wedding to talk about uh, what's going on here. Uh, He says says this, that faith 
these empty hands of faith that we hold out to receive God's gift. Faith unites the soul with Christ. It's not on the screen, so just go listen, sorry. Uh, faith unites the soul with Christ as a bride is united with her bridegroom. So I use this illustration of bride and a bridegroom. By this mystery, as the apostle teaches, Christ and the soul have become one flesh. You get that from Ephesians 5. And if they are one flesh... And there, is between, uh, and there is between them a true marriage, indeed the most perfect of all marriages, since human marriages are but poor examples of this one true marriage, it follows that everything they hold in common, the good, uh, that everything they have, they hold in common, the good as well as the evil. A bit wordy, but what he's saying is this, faith unites us to Jesus, and he freely takes on himself all that is ours as his bride and he freely gives to us all that is his. Uh, Luther goes on. By the wedding ring of faith, he shares in the sins, death, and pains of hell, which are his brides. Her sins cannot now destroy her, since they are laid upon Christ and swallowed up by him. And she has that righteousness in Christ, her husband, of which she may boast as of her own, and which she can confidently display alongside her sins in the face of death and hell, and say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ, in whom I believe, has not sinned, and all his is mine, and all mine is his, as the bride in the Song of Solomon says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. So Luther writes, It ought to be the first concern of every Christian to lay aside all confidence in works and increasingly to strengthen faith alone and through faith to grow in the knowledge not of works but of Christ Jesus who suffered and rose for him no other work makes a Christian. Therefore, true faith in Christ is a treasure beyond comparison, which brings with it complete salvation and saves man from every evil. Just beautifully put. Friends, that's why Paul can see God's free gift of righteousness as his greatest treasure. His greatest treasure, not an abstract doctrine but the thing in which he bases his life the wonder that he um, glories in that's his greatest treasure third thing that paul talks about here to know jesus as your lord to have god's free gift of righteousness but thirdly to live in resurrection hope to know jesus as your lord means to have god's free gift of righteousness but it also means you can live in resurrection hope. Let's uh, read what Paul says from verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. The Christian life isn't free from suffering. In fact, you can see there, it's, Paul says it's guaranteed. United to Jesus means being united in his death. But being united to Jesus in his death also means, must mean, certainly means, 
being united with him in his resurrection, in his glorious resurrection. And I think that's why, you see in verse 11 there, Paul just can't imagine this. Um, I think that, you know how he says, and so somehow, I don't think that's expressing doubts. I think it's expressing his wonder. And so somehow, attaining to the resurrection of the, from the dead, against everything, the wonder of it all. So this, friends, this is Paul's greatest treasure. The question that we want to, that this passage asks us is, is it your greatest treasure? Is it my greatest treasure? Collectively, as a church family, is it our greatest treasure? Um, Paul brings two implications of this out, though, and I want to just focus on that. So we've sort of looked at the middle chunk of this passage. We're going to look at the start and the end now. Um, he, he brings two implications. What uh, is the outcome of all of this? If this is his greatest treasure, so, well, in the first seven verses, Paul basically says, so let go, let go. Uh, from verse 4, I'll read from verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of, uh, on, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Uh, friends, what do you consider to be your gains? Paul had a long list of things that were gains to him, that were treasures, precious to him, things that he based his identity in, the thing that he had confidence and trust in. What is it for you? It could be any number of things. Uh, financial security might be something a bit more abstract. Control. Uh, the affirmation of others, a comfortable life. Maybe it is your own good works. After Jesus came to Paul, revealed his glory to him, after Paul came to know Jesus as his Lord, he was able to let go of all those other things that he was basing his identity in. He considered them loss. Not only that, it's a really strong word. He considers them garbage. He considers them garbage. Not because they were necessarily evil in their own right, in and of themselves, but simply because they were just far outshone by the glory of Jesus. All of us struggle to let go of our gains, our treasures, don't we? We keep believing Satan's lie that it's in them that we will find life, that we'll find peace, that we'll find satisfaction and meaning. The answer Paul gives us here isn't just try harder to let go. Do you notice what Paul does? It's, I think this is so helpful, beautiful and necessary. What Paul does is he wants us to shift our focus, to move our gaze from 
our earthly treasures like a morning mist that are all going to fade away. And on to Jesus. To gaze on him, to more and more be filled with the knowledge of his glory and his love, to know him more. When he takes up your vision, that's when those other things will fade away from, from your heart. So, friends, I think what this means for us is, if you're Christ's person, do whatever you can to fill your heart and your mind with Jesus, to see what a treasure he is, so that you can let go of those false treasures, so that you can see them for what they really are in the light of how beautiful and glorious Jesus is. So let go. That's the first kind of outcome of having Jesus as your greatest treasure. But secondly, at the end of this passage, Paul sort of switches focus. Let go, that's sort of more looking at the past. Paul now looks to the future and says, press on, press on. You can forget what's behind. It's so beautiful, isn't it? There's always a fresh start with Jesus. There's always a fresh start with Jesus. But not just let go of other so-called treasures. It's not just that kind of negative. It's press on to this future hope that we are called to. Verse 12, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I reckon this is one of the most beautiful and striking examples of a gospel, what I call a gospel change dynamic. <laughs> a bit wordy. But do you see what's going on here? There's both an unshakable assurance, an unshakable rock-solid assurance, and an energising motivation at the same time. It's both an invitation to deep rest and a call to action at the same time. That's what the gospel does. Always grounded in what God has done and what God is doing and in what God will do, our action is always in thankful response to that, not to merit or earn that, but in thankful response. You see what he says in verse 12 there? He says, take hold. He takes hold. This is this, what, this dynamic I'm talking about. Of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So he's safe. He's held. And so he can strive to take hold as well of this prize. Verse 14, God has called him heavenward. So he presses on to win this prize for which God has called him. Both those things are true at the same time. Uh, the future resurrection hope is the prize waiting for all of Christ's people. Uh, the image that's used here is like this athlete straining forward, 
right to the end with their eyes fixed on this prize that they're going to win. Uh, Now, for some of us, that kind of future heavenly hope seems so far off. Seems so far off, it's almost irrelevant. Maybe you're, you're young and your life basically is about what's here and now. Uh, not some far off future. Or, may, or maybe for you, it's just you're so busy with career or family that the future isn't urgent. It's just not urgent enough for you to think about or to live in the light of. But friends, no one knows when their time is up. No one knows when their time is up. And what's more, you are already heading somewhere. You are already heading somewhere. We all are. And it's very possible to get 10 years down the track and find out that you've made a series of major life decisions that have nothing to do with Jesus, that haven't taken his future into account, and you you find yourself very far from him. Chasing treasures that don't satisfy. If Jesus really is the greatest treasure, then it'd be a shame to orient your life towards something as fleeting as sport or career or academic success or any number of other things, maybe like Paul around family heritage or moral achievement. Now, as good as those things are in themselves, see what Paul's saying here? Compared, compared to Jesus, they're like a, a candle compared to the sun. And if they replace Jesus as your greatest treasure, you are giving up the crown jewels for a pile of garbage. <laughs> but that's, that's the strength of what Paul is saying here if they replace Jesus as your greatest treasure. So, friends, particularly if this kind of future hope just seems totally far off and something that isn't relevant to you, I want to urge you to change your heart and mind about this. And, not, and for a positive reason, here is a direction full of hope and purpose and meaning, one that lines up with God's reality... God's wisdom for you is to press on. Kids, God's wisdom for you is to press on. All of us, to strain towards what's ahead, to strive to know Jesus more and more. On the other hand, though, there are others of us who, for whom the, the end feels much closer. Death is a much more tangible thing that you are facing. God calls you to press on too. God calls you to press on too. Uh, Not to fall away or to go cold in your older years. Not to get almost to the end, but then be lured away by other things other than Jesus. To let other treasures capture your hearts as the years go by. There is more behind you than there is for those of us who are younger. And that means it can be harder for you to forget what is behind. It can be harder for you. Sometimes what is behind can have such a grip on you 
Uh, and it can make you, and it can take hold of your heart, make you bitter or proud and self-righteous or overwhelmed. So what I, my older brothers and sisters, I want to suggest that it is more important, not less, for you to press on in knowing Jesus as your Lord, in resting in his free gift of righteousness, in straining towards the resurrection hope that is yours in Jesus Christ. And one more thing I want to say, lastly, is that we do this together. We press on together. I think that's what Paul finishes up with um, in verse, from verse 15. He's been talking about his own example all the way through here. You might have picked that up. Uh, he's talking about his own kind of his, his own example. But then he says in verse 15, this is actually for all of Christ's people to embrace together. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us, God's church together, only let us live up to Press on towards, earnestly strive towards what we have already attained by grace through faith as a free gift in the security and rest of the gospel. Let me pray as we finish. Let me pray. Our God, please, we pray that you might fill us with such a vision of the treasure and beauty and wonder of Jesus. Keep us from a kind of cold faith. Lord, help us to know Jesus, not just things about him, but to know him and the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Fill us with this hope so that we might press on and strive to which, towards this goal for which you have called us. In each of our lives, in the, with the particular things that each of us face, may we take this word to heart. May we be deeply encouraged at the security of the gospel and spurred on to live for this future reality, to press on, uh, knowing that this resurrection hope is ours. And I pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.